Well, I'll be honest, this is one of those Sundays, I've said this, I say this to y'all sometimes, where you just want to disappear, you know, really quickly. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, Andrew's on stage, he's got a microphone, he preached at 9 o'clock, he could preach at 1030. <laughs> I really did. Um, and, and if you know this about me, uh, when I get really nervous, and I don't know why, I'm more, why I feel so nervous today, I really don't know why. Um, but when I get really nervous, I yawn a ton, like a lot. And people are like, are you about to fall asleep? And I'm like, no, I promise. Uh, when I played basketball in high school, right before the tip-off, I would yawn. Like every time. <laughs> the coach is like, what's the matter with you? Um, but I, just, I say that just asking for your prayers and ask the Lord to bless this time. Uh, I'm excited about what the Lord's put in my heart. But I just acknowledge that I need them greatly. And we all need them. And uh, that the Lord would be with us. And so um, the Lord, the, the, in prayer and just asking the Lord to direct what, it, what he would have me to share this week. Um, I'd been praying over the last few weeks, and I think, was it a week ago we had the leadership breakfast for those that were there? Was it last Saturday? I don't remember. Um, I think it was last Saturday uh, we had the leadership breakfast, and uh, during the last Saturday, during that breakfast, Pastor Lee asked me and Andrew and some of the others to share some words with the church. And in preparation for that, I was really praying and asking God, what do you, what do you want me to share with the church about this coming year? What do you have for us? And um, there was a phrase that just kept coming to my, my heart, and I felt like the Lord was really just uh, stirring within my heart. And it was the phrase of being a kingdom people um, for this year to live as people of the kingdom, people that would, uh, people that would be uh, kingdom people in every single way. And so really this morning, my heart's desire just to stir us to that. Um, I understand that, that people hear that, and maybe it's like, well, what is that? And um, there is so much to that. So don't think I'm going to unpack or uncover that whole everything to that. But I do pray that today I would be able to do some of that. And so if you would just pray with me and ask the Lord to bless this time that we have as we dig into the Word and, um, and just be and sit underneath His, His truth. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before You, God. And Lord, we need You. Lord, I need You. And Lord, I thank You. And I thank You that You love us. I thank You that You are so good. I thank You, Lord, that we can praise You today. I thank You that we can enjoy Your presence and as Levi reminded us, God, of the communion we get to have with you because of what you did for us to have that communion with you. Thank you. We can never praise you enough. And thank you that you are our Father and that you care for us and that you see us today. I pray, Father, that our hearts would receive the things that you want to say to us, the things that you've put within, our, within my heart to say, God. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them out as you desire, God, not as I think they should go, God. But help us speak through me, God, and be with me today. And let this be a day that just glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, um, today's message, the title of it is a being a kingdom people, um, living a, a life as a, as a person of the kingdom. And so I just want to explain to you what I mean by that, because the truth is we don't live in a kingdom in the U.S. We live in a, you know, a republic, and so it's very different here. Um, and so we don't, when we hear kingdom, we might not think of that term. And I think Andrew actually preached at the 9 o'clock about some, truth, some things about the kingdom of God in there. Um, but when I'm talking about being a kingdom people, I just want to st- for you to know what I mean. is I'm talking about living as a citizen of God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign. A citizen of, and many people will say a citizen of heaven, but essentially a citizen of the kingdom of God and what that should look like. When I'm talking about the kingdom of God in particular, I'm talking about the, is that ringing? Anybody notice that? I'm talking about the, the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns, his place, where he is on his throne. And the kingdom of God we know in the earth came because Jesus, when he came, he brought the kingdom of God to the earth. And then he began to advance the kingdom of God. And wherever Jesus would go, God's rule and reign would be would be put in that place. And that's what's continued to happen until he comes again. Jesus' kingdom is continued to advance. And ultimately, God's kingdom will fully be made 
of, over the fullness of the whole earth when Christ comes again and returns in his glory in that sense. But until then, God's kingdom is still on the earth and it's still advancing and it advances through the church. And it advances through God's people stepping forward and advancing the kingdom of God in many different ways. But being a person of the kingdom also doesn't mean that we just advance the kingdom. It means we reflect the character and the way that the kingdom of God is described by Jesus. And so as citizens of the kingdom, there are things that the kingdom of God calls us to be, calls us to do, calls us to act. And the truth is, you know, to say it, the kingdom of God is extremely countercultural to the world we live in. It's extremely countercultural to what we see. And, and to be honest, to even some of the things that we have become very comfortable with and that we would even say, this is what I like. And the truth is, is that the kingdom of God would confront that and say, that's not God's kingdom. That's not how I want my citizens of my kingdom to act. But that's maybe how our, our, even our own U.S. government or culture would, would say, this is what we should be. And so God's kingdom is, is something that we are a part of. If you're born again here today, if you're, if you're a believer today, if you have become a disciple of Jesus, you are part of the kingdom of God. Therefore, you are a citizen of the kingdom. And therefore, God's calling you to reflect the kingdom truth or the things of the kingdom of God in the earth, which I will tell you this is going to be countercultural. It's why we don't fit in or it's why we're not supposed to be able to fit in because our, our home or our kingdom or where we belong is not like the one we're in. And so because of that, we will be different. And so what my prayer is this morning and what I feel like the Lord has stirred in my heart is for us to find as kingdom people, find freedom in the love and the character of the father so that we will live as kingdom people who embrace the countercultural call, the call to just be different, the call to say, hey, I'm going to go Opposite of what maybe I've, what, what, what everybody in the world would say, what everything feels right, because I want to follow the kingdom of God in the earth. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12, and I want to read a passage with us, and we'll just walk through this passage. The way I feel like the Lord has put this passage in my heart is to kind of break it up into three parts or three different scenes to say. Um, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say this again and again and again. The Bible, when we read the Bible, I think sometimes we read it very like, and don't be anxious. For Heavenly Father, you know, like this, we, we put on the audio Bible and we hear it and like, I don't think that's how the Bible is intended to be read or even heard, um, especially when you read the Gospels, especially when you read these narratives where you're reading about these stories taking place. I think we're meant to feel the story. I think we're meant to see the story. I think we're supposed to experience the passage like in a way where it's like it comes alive. It jumps off the page. It's not just some like words on a page, but it's like, man, could you imagine being in the midst of this? And so when I read this and when we, we dive in this, I just want you to just try your best, through the best of your ability, whatever imagination you have left after being a kid, um, dig in and try to picture yourself in the middle of the story to understand it. And so we'll start in chapter 12, verse 13. And it says, someone in, in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made, a, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plenty, plentiful. And he, the rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
Just keep reading with me. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat nor about your body? What will you put on? For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags but do not, that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'll read this passage to you, and there's several different parts to it. But this passage is a passage where I just want to be, just say this to make it very clear to you. When we read this passage, we need to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching in such a way where he's speaking about what it looks like to be a person of the kingdom of God and how it doesn't add up to the rest of the world. And, and so he starts off, and I'll just jump into this. He starts off where we see this scene unfold, right? The first part of the story that we see is in verses 13 through 21, where Jesus, this man calls out to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, hey, decide between me and my brother about this inheritance. And, and when you read this passage right here, you can clearly see the motivation of this man's heart. The motivation of this man's heart comes from greed. He's not mourning the loss. He doesn't care about all he cares about getting the inheritance from it. And he's trying to get something. He's trying to get Jesus to be the one to split a decision so that he can get something for himself. And Jesus takes this moment and he captures it, right? He he takes a moment to begin to say, okay, I see what this man's motivated by. He's motivated by greed. He's motivated motivated by self-focus. He's motivated by by himself, for himself. And so Jesus takes this moment to then warn everyone around him and say, hey, beware, Right in verse, I believe it's verse 15, says, Take care of this. Be on guard against all covetous, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus takes this moment where he begins to say to them very clearly, Be aware of this. Be aware of this. And I just would say this to us. We need to be aware of this same thing. Because what Jesus is about to say in this first scene, or this first truth that I just want to bring out from this passage, is that what Jesus is about to reveal, is that he's about to reveal that the pursuit of more... That is motivated by self is a waste. Just think about it. The pursuit of more that is motivated for self or by self is a waste of a life. And I think it's often that we need to sit with this truth and we need to consider Jesus is about to show that this guy's desire was it was not necessarily inherently wrong to want more. But what was wrong with his pursuit is that it was all about himself. And so Jesus begins to tell a parable exposing the fault of when we live this sort of way. That when we live a life of pursuing more for ourselves or for self-pleasure or for self-focus, which is, in, which is what the world teaches us, right? The culture of the world teaches us to live this way, Live for yourself, live for your abundance. When Jesus begins to teach us this, it's in contradiction to the culture of the world. And he begins to preach this parable. And when he begins to preach this parable, share this parable, he talks about a man who was plentiful. 
And this man had many, his crops were abundant, right? In verse 17, it talks about his crops were abundance. And he had so much and he didn't know what to do with it all. And, 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 and he didn't know what to do. And so because of that, he decided he was going to do something else. But I want you to see why Jesus is dealing with how this is such a self-focused problem. Because in verse, I want you to see verse 17. And when you look at this, you see the word himself. This man begins to think to himself. He says in verse 17, I. And then in verse 17, he says, I again. Verse 18, he says, I. Verse 18, he says, I again. Verse 18, says, I again. Verse 19, I and then, he, and then he gets to verse 19, and he starts talking about me, my. It depends on your translation, but there's, there's two my's in there. And what you see from this passage is that Jesus is giving a parable where he's basically saying, if those who are going to be focused on themselves in the pursuit of more in this life are going to find themselves at a place where they're empty and, waste, and they wasted their life. But this is the pull of the world. This is the desire of the world. This is what we fight against. This is what comes against us. And so what happens is when we read this parable, Jesus is bringing this truth out. But I want you to see some of the side effects. I want you to see because I want us to be warned. Just as he said, I warn you or take care or be aware of this truth. That if we begin to pursue more for the sake of self, look what will happen to you. And when you look at this passage in verse 17, you can see this is how this man acts. Talks about, like I already said, the man comes, he has plentiful, his barns are producing. He says, what will I do? I need to store my crops, so I'm going to do more. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And this is what I want us to think about. He says, what will I do? This isn't like, like, what will I do? Hmm. This man is, has anxiety. This man is bothered. He's troubled by his problem. He's consumed with what will I do with my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. What am I going to do with that? I don't understand. I need, I, need, I need to come up with a plan. I need to be this. And, there, and so because of that, that when you become so self-absorbed, so self-inward, so focused on more, gaining more for our own benefit, for our own causes, for our own agendas, for what makes us comfortable, what makes us what we like, what happens is it actually leads to a life of anxiety. And it, it leads to a life of discontentment. It leads to a life of frustration. It leads to a life where you're always chasing the more. Or you're always chasing something else. And so Jesus makes it clear in this parable that the man's self-focus and greed is filled by the pursuit of more. And this is a wasted life that Jesus gets after. In other words, what, this meant, what we have to understand is that when we begin to walk after a life that is totally focused on ourselves, it's just wasted, right? Look at Jesus' words at the end of the parable. He says in verse 19, this man says to himself, like, I'm going to oh, look, I finally did it all. I'll say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. You're a fool. And, and I don't know what your translation I might have as an exclamation point. Like you're a fool. To bind to the culture of this world. To say, I got to have more. I've got to chase more because it's the only way I'll be happy. It's the only way I'll be satisfied. I need more possessions. I need more property. I need more this. I need more that. I need, what, I need more finances. I need to go after more. Then I'll finally be happy and in the rest of my life I'll enjoy myself. And he says, you are an absolute fool if that is your pursuit. He does not condemn the pursuit of more. He condemns the motivation for more. That the motivation is that it would not be for God, but it would be for his own self. And that's all, it's easy for us to fall into that trap. 
It's easy for us to think that we're actually pursuing more and it's good and it's right. But what we end up doing is we're really pursuing more for ourselves and not for the kingdom of God. And this is what he's going to get at, right? And so he says very clearly, you're a fool and then not tonight your, your soul is required of you. And these things have been prepared. Whose will they be? All the things you had, whose will they be? And so he says, so the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This pursuit of going after the, what the world tells us to do will be a waste. And I say, I, I don't know what you have coming this year. I don't know, like, we live in an economy right now that's pretty messed up. It's pretty difficult. And I'm not saying that, again, he's not saying that we don't need to be thoughtful. He's not saying to be lazy. There's none of those things. But if we're just like, I've got to gain more, I've got to gain more, I've got to protect myself, self, 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 self. Jesus will look at us and say, you're a fool. You wasted. You wasted. What you were intended to be was someone who would be rich towards God, who would live rich towards God. And I would just say this, the simplicity of living rich towards God is this, is that it's a life that is not in pursuit of things for self, but it is, in a, it is a life that is in love with God in pursuit, in pursuit of things for the kingdom of God. It is being a kingdom person where we live in a life pursuing the kingdom of God and forth God's kingdom because we love God. And so Jesus, is, it's just abundantly clear that this is what he's doing. He's dealing with this lie that's still a lie today. The reality is that he makes it so clear that the abundance of life is not found in more or things, but it is in Jesus and it is pursuing the kingdom of God. It is life in that sense. And so we have to resist that pull. We have to resist that temptation. There is the temptation to go that way. We, we can't deny that it doesn't exist and say, I'm a Christian who never feels that. It's in front of us. It's in our culture. It's all around us. And most of us might even be more, it it might even have its grips in our heart and its claws and we're not even aware of it because we're so engrossed in the culture and so we play the culture game. We're part of these things and Jesus is saying, this is not what I want. And so I would even say this, when we're talking about more here, he's clearly talking about, you know, possessions and, you know, you could say money, things of that sort, items and so forth. But I want to say this too, for some of us, it might not just be more of a possession. It might be more of other things. It might be more influence. Right now you're sitting, you may sit in here and you're like, I'm not satisfied. And if I had more influence, if I could, if, and, and young people may say this language, or maybe the most older people don't really say this language, but like I want followers. I want to be an influencer. I don't know if you've heard that term yet. I can't stand it. Like I want to be an influencer. I want people to follow me so that I can influence people. And what we do is we begin to pursue more influence and the ability to influence people, thinking that'll bring satisfaction, thinking that'll bring life, thinking that there's an abundance of life in that, and our culture pulls us in that direction, and it's just a lie. It could be popularity. It could be the, 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 the desire to have more, being accepted more. And so because of that, we're unwilling to do certain things that the kingdom of God calls us to, to live counterculturally to this world. And so what we find ourselves doing is maybe shutting our mouths and living in a way where we want to be accepted. So we just go with the culture, the American culture. We don't live as a kingdom people because we want to be accepted more than we are. And so we seek to please people. We seek to do things of that sort. It could be comfort. And I'll even say this. It even could be ministry. The desire to say, I want more ministry, then I'll be satisfied. I want more ministry, and then I'll be satisfied. And, it's, and, it, and again, all of this is not just the more. It's the more for self. I want to be accepted more for me. I want more ministry for me. I want more comfort for me. I want more of this for me. All of these things. I want more possessions for me. And the reality is, is this is the lie that our culture speaks to us. But the truth is that when we, fall, when we truthfully look at this lie, we understand this. This is just a cycle. 
It's a cycle that just keeps happening over and over again and it never satisfies. And what's happened is that we keep on, keep on trying to get more. We keep on thinking that if we do more, if we, get, if we work harder, if we pursue more possessions, if we pursue more popularity, if we pursue more friends, if we get more accepted, we will be happy. And in the end of it all, it's just an endless cycle of a waste. And so, what, and so Jesus makes it abundantly clear. What do we do? We pursue God and his kingdom. That's what the kingdom people do. And pursuing the kingdom of God means that we're going to have to live countercultural from that pull to want to go to more things. And the truth is, is when, if, if we do, we will find ourselves living a life that is just very different. But if we don't, we'll find ourselves like this man. We'll find ourselves probably filled with worry, anxiety, and just at the end of it all, waste. I really think that the reason why so many people walk around with so much anxiety and fear and worry is because they found themselves in that game. In that passage, in this part where they are the parable of the rich fuel, trying to figure out how I can protect everything I have for me. And they're filled with anxiety and stress. And the reality is just like you would probably say, and I, we all know this, Jesus says it's better, it was better to, to, uh, to give than to receive. When we pursue things, we're just trying to receive more for ourselves, you do find yourself more frustrated. You've probably been there before, but you've probably been in the times in your life where you, when you began to serve or you began to bless others, you found joy in your life. You found a relief from anxiety and worry because you began to do what God had called us to do. And y'all, no one shows this example more clearly than Jesus himself. No one shows this example more clearly. Jesus was not, he was not bought into the culture where he was like, I am here for me. He did not walk the earth for himself. He had a great gig in heaven. He really didn't need to come down here for, for himself. He came down here for us. And he exemplified a life that is fully surrendered to the Father out of love for the Father. And then a life that sought the kingdom of God to advance in the earth. He embraced a, a kingdom culture that is completely different to the world. Not going after more for self, but more for God and for his will. And in that purpose, like Levi said, he achieved what God had him to do for the kingdom. To make the kingdom accessible for all people by having, offering communion and entrance into the presence of God. Jesus exemplified the rejection of the culture of the day to pursue something more for where we bind for ourselves and to go towards what is for God, for God. A kingdom person lives for God. And this is a Jesus example for us. And so that first thing, just to see, make it very clearly, is that we see from this passage and those first few scriptures is that the pursuit of more that is, and this is key, is motivated by self, is a waste. Is a waste. But what Jesus is going to do is that he's going to build off of this. And so I want us to see this in this next part. In this next part, this is what I want us to see. Is that not only is it, when we look at the first part, is that those pursuits are a waste. But in the second part, he's going to pull the truth that Jesus communicates. That the love of the Father frees, frees us from that pursuit. It frees us from that pursuit. So when you look at the passage in verse 21, you see very clearly that Jesus gives the parable. And then right after that in verse 22, he turns to his disciples. And I can, I, can imagine, I, I can imagine this scenario. I can imagine the disciples are probably maybe like some of you are in here right now. And you're like, but you don't understand. Like, we, don't have, we, we might not have food. Right? Like, we, we might not have, like, if, if, I, if I do what you're telling me to do, if you, I embrace that parable and I begin to pursue a life that's seeking the kingdom of God and not about myself, but it's about others and that type of lifestyle, like, what happens to me? What happens to our food? What happens to our situation? What do we begin to do? And Jesus, is, Jesus begins to teach them very clearly that the truth that he's trying to bring out is that it is the love of the Father that frees us from the pursuit of the previous thing, disciples. 
You don't have to worry about this next thing, right? Because what happens is, is in this passage, this is the passage we all have heard so many times, where Jesus begins to say, okay, if you're not going to live for yourself, this is essentially what I will tell you. If, don't, do not be anxious about your life. You don't need to be anxious about your life. If you choose to embrace the life of the kingdom, where you're not living for self, but you're living for others, and you're living for God's kingdom, and to know God and serve God, then you don't need to be anxious about your life. You don't need to be anxious about what you'll eat. You don't need to be anxious what will be put on your body, because the fact is, is that God sees you, right? The statement we've heard so many times, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have a storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. All of these things he begins to say. He tells them, don't be anxious because you can't add a single hour to your life. He tells them, consider the lilies. And he's basically saying like, okay, if you're going to reject the culture, the lies of this where you're trying to live for self and you embrace a, embrace a life for the kingdom and be a people of the kingdom, you can be sure you won't have to fear. You don't need to fear. I understand it's difficult, but you won't have to fear. And he points to the reasons why. And here's the reasons why he says these things. Because he's telling them, like, do, he's calling them, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't live for the more, or whatever, the selfish more attitude. And he said, this is why. Because of these truths, your life is more than the abundance that you have. Because the, father, the way the Father sees you. Because the way the Father sees your need. Because the way the, it pleases the Father to take care of you. And this is the point of what Jesus is trying to make the truth for them to see. Is that the game of falling into all the pursuit, we generally do that because we do not trust the Father's character. If you know your Father, you don't have to be anxious. If you know your Father, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. If you know your Father, you don't need to worry about being accepted. If you know the Father, you don't need to... If you know the Father, disciples, you don't have to embrace that lie. You don't have to seek for yourself... You don't have to go after more. You don't have to try to earn any of that stuff. You don't have to do that if you know the Father. But here's the problem for them, and it is today in many ways, is that most people don't know the Father. They know about the Father, but they don't know the Father. At that time, in the Jewish Jewish world, the term Father was not a very commonly used word to describe God. The the Old Testament uses it 15 times total. But it's always in correlation to Israel. But Jesus begins to use it in the Gospels 165 times. And he's doing this on purpose. And he doesn't, and and instead of moving from like the father of Israel, he says the father of you. He says it in this passage. He deals with these statements where he begins to say, you, I tell you, even in Solomon, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass. He says, for all the nations of the world, seek after these things. Your father knows that you need them. In other words, what he was trying to do is he was trying to say, the problem is, is the reason why you're so caught up in wanting to try to pursue more and go after things and possessions and you're distracted from pursuing the kingdom that will last forever and from pursuing God and going after these things is because you don't know the father. Because what the Father does is the Father gives you the security. When you know your Father and you know His heart and you know His love and you know His character, He gives you the security to say no to that and I don't care if I don't build a kingdom that is great in this earth. I don't care if I ever have these things because this matters to me and His love secures me that if I pursue this, I will be taken care of. 
I will be okay. All will be made right because the Father sees. And so he's, he's giving them this new understanding. or He's trying to bring this clarity to them about who the Father is. That the Father sees them. That the Father sees their needs. That the Father values them. That the way he values them. Like, I don't understand how the Father values us the way he does. But he does. Because Jesus said so. That the Father would take care of us. And it, and it actually doesn't even, not even just take, it pleases the Father to take care of us. It pleases the Father. And so in other words, Jesus is saying this care, love, and compassion of the Father. Is the, it's the thing that frees us from the pursuit of the game of more that the culture tries to pull us in. It's the thing that frees us from anxiety, right? He's saying don't be anxious, don't be worried. Why? The Father. The Father. The Father. The Father. And so the, the anxiety problem that was then and is even today, because our culture is filled with people anxiety, where it's like we're in a race constantly trying to achieve more, do more, and we're filled with so much stress and anxiety. The anxiety problem today, as it was then, is always and always will be a father problem, a revelation of the Father of God, of Father God. It is our lack of Him. And this is the truth, is that we don't need just a knowledge of Him, we need the revelation of what His character's like, what His love like, what His love's like. We didn't know this. And so, the, and so this, this is the problem. The issue is this. But the truth is that most people walk around this world with wrong views of them all the time. All the time. There are people who, when, I, when they hear me talk about the Father or they think about the, uh, the Father, and they grow up in church too, all they think about is an angry father. They don't, they don't think about like this perspective that Jesus is bringing to them where he's talking about a father who sees you, who values you, who knows what you need, who pleases in taking care of you. What they think about is they think the father is an angry judge above me that I have to appease in some sense. And he's got that, as Pastor Lee has said in the past, he's got a hammer behind his back and he's waiting for the right moment to just pounce on me. And so what we think we do is like, okay, in order for God to take care of my needs so that I can serve the kingdom of God, what I'm going to begin to do is that I'm going to do things to earn or appease his anger and his judgment towards me. You know, people have, they believe that lie all the time. And don't tell me that you, just because you know the doctrine that that's not true doesn't mean you don't fall into that trap at times. When we walk around and we're literally like, Oh gosh, I gotta pray longer, and then God might do something. If I'd only read today, God would have actually, he, you know, He would have provided for me today, or something would have happened. As if He's a judge waiting for us to do the right things, to, to pounce on, on us, and then He'll then He'll come to us and take care of us. But this is not the Father that Jesus presents. Some people run around with this idea of the angry Father. Some people run around with the idea of a distant or absent Father. And probably because there's been absent fathers in our lives. But the reality is we think of him as he's absent. And so we think we have to earn his care for us. We have to do something. We, we have to do something to earn this type of tenderness. We have to think like, oh, you know, once I do this and that, then he will show up in my life. That's not what this is. This passage does not say that. He literally says, the father sees you. The father is pleased. Pleased. To meet your needs. He's pleased. It, it, it fills his heart with joy. And so there's this, this whole lie of trying. We think he's absent or we think he's distant. And so we've got to earn. We don't have to do any of that. But all of us at times fall into this trap. Where are you God? You're not near to me. Don't you see what's happening to me? He's right there with you whether you feel it or not. The father has never abandoned you one moment. Father has never left your side. That's a promise for you. 
That is a promise that God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm your father. Some people walk around with this idea that they're unsure about the father. I don't know what I think about, or I'm more of, they're unsure of how he feels about them. I don't really know how you feel about me. And so because of that, I'm going to work really hard to make you happy. It's no different than what we've done with our earthly fathers at times. Where our earthly fathers maybe were like, does my dad like me? Does he not like me? I had a wonderful father for me. For some people, they didn't have that. It's like, does my dad like me? Does he not like me? So in order to do that, I'm unsure how he feels about me. So if I do this or I stay out of, I do this, he'll, he'll accept me. Or maybe if I just stay out of his line of sight, he'll accept me. The reality is, is, y'all, this is not the type of father that Jesus paints for us. Jesus paints for us that we have a father that values us, that sees us, that cares about our needs, and wants to meet our, our, our situations. And when we come to those truths, when we come to the reality of the father, like, I can't say it enough, you have to have a revelation of the father, not an intellect agreement of the scripture. But when you come to those places, you can be free of the worry and the anxiety that this life brings you. So what are you worrying about today? What do you feel with anxiety about today? What are you overwhelmed by today? That's causing you to maybe jump into the previous game that the parable of the fool was doing. I got to get more. I, 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 no one likes me. I need to be accepted more. So you know what I need to do? I need to do this and that. I need to not talk about Jesus because people reject me if I talk about Jesus. I don't want rejection. So I won't talk about Jesus. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel. But that will require me to be rejected. But if you know the love of the Father, you already know you're accepted. So you don't care about the rejection that you're going to receive for preaching the gospel. And so you embrace the call to the kingdom. The reality is what we all need is a deep, deep move of God in our heart that says, I know the love and the care of the Father. The character of the Father. And just like they needed that then, we need that now. We need this move of God in our heart where the Father becomes real to us. One of the things he says in this, in verse, I think it's verse uh, 30, he says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. In other words, all the people that don't have the Father, they do, verses 13 through 21, because it's the culture. They do that. This is what they do. They embrace it. They live it. And, 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 and I would even almost say, rightfully so, because they're fatherless. They can have the Father in their life. Not everybody, people who are not born again, they're they 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 not children of God. But they can be made children of God because Jesus, right? But the reality is like those people, they do not have the Father in their life. So what are they left to do but worry? What are they left to do but anxious? What are they left to do but be frustrated and trying to figure out more and stay ahead of the game and try to do all of these things? And, and, and so this is their pursuit. This is natural to them. But those who become sons and daughters of God, that pursuit no longer has to be natural. We can be freed from it where we can rest completely in the Father and be secure there and be, and be okay there and be comforted there. And then the third thing that Jesus says this is what he does is, The pursuit of this selfish life is waste. The love of the Father frees you from this pursuit. But then the love of the Father not only frees you from the pursuit of the anxiety that that pursuit creates, but it now frees you to live the kingdom life, the countercultural life for the kingdom. Read with me verse 33 and 34. It says this, or 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for yours is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Like, we don't like that. We don't like that. Right? That's not comfortable. But you know why he can make that statement? Because they're secure in the Father. 
If God says to sell something, I trust him. I know him. I know his love. Some of you, when I'm, when I, if, if God were to say to you to sell this or to do this, and actually any of us, me too. There's things in my life I would be very difficult to let go of. But if the father said to me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell this and give this for the, uh, to do this and give it to the needy or give it to whoever it is, right? It would make us really uncomfortable because what has happened is those things in our life has dug its claws into our heart and they hold it very deep. And Jesus is saying the love of the father should come into us when we have a reality of it, that it causes us to be willing to let go of those things. And if we're to sell them, we sell them. And you know what that does? That is completely countercultural to the world. That is a kingdom people. That is, that is not how the world functions. That is not how we are taught. We are taught to look out for me, myself, and I. We are not taught to look out for others. But Jesus is saying that this is the life of the kingdom of God, is that we begin to pursue a life for others. And he's saying, essentially, do what the guy in verses 13 to 21 would not do. He had abundance, and you know what he did with it? He fed himself. And he's saying, you have abundance? Give. Give. Because, not just because there's law to give, but because you're secure in the Father. The Father's love frees you up to live counterculturally for the kingdom of God, right? And so you see this statement, give, give, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And look, I don't think Jesus is giving a statement here to say everybody in here has to go sell. But I think he's trying to show the point of what he's saying is like, hey, if you're secure, like, when you come to know the truth of the Father, then you, like, you'll do crazy things because you just trust him. You trust him. And when he speaks, you're like, I know you. I know you. And I wonder how much of us know the Father well enough that if there was anything in your life today that he put his thumb on to say, would you, what would be your hesitancy? Would you struggle? If you would, you need a greater love, a greater revelation of the Father. You don't need, you don't mean we need to guilt you into saying, you're supposed to sell this. You need to do this. I'd say, if there's anything that God is asking you to do that is actually pursuing the kingdom of God, but it really is, it, it's things that you have in your heart and, they're str- and they're, you're pursuing that more, you're pursuing the pursuit or whatever it is, and it's difficult, and God is saying this, it's because we need to get back to the middle section of verse 22 through 31. We need to get back to the Father. We need to get back to the Father. And when we do, we're caught between these two worlds, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world that calls us to pursue everything for self, the kingdom of God that calls us to pursue everything for others and for God's glory and to know him. And we're caught in between. What we need is a great revelation, a deep truth about the Father's love for us that says, I can reject that and I can move forward here. And I can obey what he tells me to do. In other words, I can be a kingdom citizen. I can live countercultural. I can do something that the world would literally be like, why did you sell your car and give the money to the church or, or give your car to someone in the church who was struggling? Why would you do that? Uh, what, what, is, what is Matthew, I think it's 13, 14 says, what, um, your good works, let your good works shine before men. Why? So that your father in heaven may be glorified. That's the kingdom of God. Embrace the kingdom of God. Why? So the father is glorified. So those people say, that's a different type of way of living. I don't understand that. Great, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who actually lived this this whole kingdom-oriented life, his whole life. And I'm just trying to follow him one step at a time. And the reason why I'm able to is because I know how much my father loves me. He frees me to be able to pursue his kingdom and the things of his kingdom. 
And so Jesus is saying, look, you're free because of the Father's love to go and to do extraordinary events or extraordinary things that are countercultural to advance the kingdom of God and pursue what God wants. And so in verse 33, he talks about selling the possessions and give to the needy. But then he says, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In other words, pursue the kingdom. Going back exactly to the beginning of the passage in verse 21, when, Je- when Jesus is dealing with this man, you were a fool because you live for yourself. You were a fool because you were rich for yourself. You were not rich towards the kingdom of God. And he's going back to that. He's capping this story where he's saying, the treasure in heaven, we pursue that because nothing can take that away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the question I think we need to ask today. Where is our heart? Is it here or here? Is our heart with the kingdom of God? Or is our heart still caught up in this pursuit of this world? The pursuit of more for self? The pursuit of possessions? The pursuit of abundance? The pursuit of acceptance? The pursuit of whatever it might be? These certain things that we do? The pursuit of all of that? We begin to go after because we think this is what's going to satisfy. Just like this man, I would say, get out of that game. Get out of that culture and embrace the culture of the kingdom that causes us to live very differently. But the only way you're going to get there is if you get in the middle to say, I need the Father. I need to know the Father. I'll be honest with you. Maybe I don't know a lot about God. Maybe I really don't. Compared to like other people who know the Bible better than me. I feel like I know a good bit of scripture. But I... I, I, I genuinely don't believe I really, really even come close to like scratching the surface of the Father. Like I know scriptures about the Father, but there's so much more about the Father that I'm wanting to know and wanting to understand through a relationship with Him and not just facts about Him. Right? Like with my wife, you could imagine, this is kind of a silly example, but imagine with my wife, like, is she here? Oh, hey. Um, imagine that a long time ago when we first started, you know, dating or whatever, and, or, or we were, you know, we were gonna, let's say we're going to get married, right? We did get married. Let's say we're going to get married. But before we got married, all I did was learn the facts about her. I just, I never spent time with her. I never really got to know her. I never really got to know, but I could tell you she likes, actually don't know her favorite color because it changes every other year. Um, she likes a lot of colors, you know. <laughs> I'm digging a terrible hole for myself. I'm not going to go any further on this one. I was about to say, what's your favorite flower? (laughs) Anyway, um, a list of things about her, right? She drives this car. She does this. She likes, she likes for the sink to be cleaned at night. She like, I could tell you all the facts about her. She likes the living room to be this certain way so that when she wakes up, when she reads her Bible, like stuff like that. I could tell you all that stuff, but I never actually was around her. And I got into a marriage like that. And I would be like, I don't really know you. you know? And I think to some degree, that's how some of us are with God. We, we have a list of scriptures that tell us he sees you today. He values you today. He cares for you today. All of those things. But the truth is we know the list. But we haven't, we, we, we're not with him on, to know him in that way. Where it becomes more than just written text on a page. But it becomes the reality of our lives. And we're just so moved by that. And that's why I said I feel like we've only, at least for me, 
I feel like I've only yet even just begun to maybe, maybe even scratch the surface. Because there's no, there's no limit to God, right? So you're never going to get to the bottom of it all, but the limitness of God to know Him. And so my prayers for some of you in here today, like you may be walking in and you may be thinking to yourself, I've caught myself up in the game. I am not living for the kingdom of God. I'm not being a kingdom person, or kingdom people. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not moving that way. And I'm really here. I'm really in pursuing an agenda for myself, for my purposes, for whether it's abundance, whether it's material things, or whether it's just like, again, acceptance. I'm pursuing things to be accepted. I'm pursuing popularity. I'm pursuing influence. I'm pursuing whatever, because I think at the end of the day, this will actually satisfy me. I would say to you, if you find yourself there, I'm not asking you to all of a sudden start selling possessions and doing this. I don't hear me. I'm not telling you just all of a sudden start doing things to be a kingdom citizen. I'm saying get before God and get before the Holy Spirit and say, teach me the Father. Teach me the Father. And as I learn the Father, I will take steps of obedience because I will learn to trust Him more. And He may demand more of me over time. He may start with just saying, hey, I want you to just, I want you to, instead of, you know, you might not start with selling your car. You may never do that, right? But hey, I want you to pay for the person behind you and, and at a CC's. And for some of you, even that, you're like, I don't want to pay for an extra five bucks. You know, it may be as simple as that. It's just a step. But you're able to do it because you know the Father. And then he begins, and as you walk with him and you learn him more and you learn him more, he begins to even ask of you more. Hey, now I want you to sacrifice your Saturday morning to go to, to the mall or, or to go to your neighbors and begin to minister to them and care for them and love on them. And you're saying, I don't need their acceptance. I've got the love of the Father. I'm free to do that. I'm free to do that and not have to live in fear of that. Because the, I don't have to be anxious about it because the Father's love frees me. And then you begin to walk and learn the Father more and more. And you walk with Him. And before you know it, you know, as you get closer and closer to Him, you, the, 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 text of, the truth of the text on Scripture becomes more alive to you about the Father. And you just love Him so much. And you love Him. And then He begins to say things to you that even like you're, you would look back on you like, I would have never done this when, he first, when I first started knowing the love of the Father, the character of the Father. But now, and He says to you, and I'm not saying anybody in here has to do this, but like He's saying, Sell the car and give to the people in the church who need it or, or, or whatever. Or go to the mission field. I would have never gone to the mission field at the beginning because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. But now, I, how can I say no to this one in who I am so secure in? How can I say no to the one who loves me so much? How can I say no to seeking his kingdom and being rich towards him and walking after him when he is the one that cares for me, who sees me and I don't have to live anxious? How can I say no to him? Because you come to know him. And I say to us today, like my invitation, the musicians, you can come up. Is this is not for you to start doing wherever you are. Unless the father says something you do. But it's to to. To ask the Holy Spirit in your life, let me see and know the Father. I, I, that was Jesus' joy, was his Father. And I, and, and I can only imagine how much joy it will be for us if we follow in that same footsteps of Jesus. Where we begin to pursue the kingdom of God. And so if you want to be a kingdom person, if you want to be kingdom people... It is going to require us to reject some of the culture lies that we see in this world... 
And the only way we can reject those is if we find ourselves secure in the love of the Father and we know the character of the Father. And then that's going to free us to commit and pursue the kingdom and the work of God as kingdom people. And so my prayer is this. is like, would we make that our prayer today? If you need a revelation of the Father, just come to the altars. If you've already got a revelation of the Father, which it would be foolish to say everybody's like, I've got enough, right? But like, if you do and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm really walking here. I'm just walking here and God's showing me things about himself and in the Father and I love it. If you're already there, then could you just stand and praise the Father today then? Like just rejoice in him and show it. Like rejoice that he sees you, he values you, he cares for you, he loves you, he's taking care of your needs. You don't have to live anxious, you don't have to live in fear because the Father's love. And so I encourage you, reject the parable the full way. Reject the pursuit of more for self and going after things in the American, and I would even say this, even the pursuit of the American dream, you know, the white picket fence in the house, it's not entirely wrong, but if it's self, all for self, not for the kingdom of God, it's no different than the parable of the fool. But God calls us to be people of the kingdom that pursue the kingdom of God, being rich towards God, living for God, loving God and his kingdom. And we do that through a great love of the Father. So if you would stand with me, worship the Lord, the altars are open. Let's just praise him. Let's ask the Father.